When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10, that's podcast10, to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Now, to the top analysis of today's crypto markets. Could Bitcoin soon push towards 45,000? According to technical analyst Dave the Wave, we're in the buy zone. Welcome back to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. My name is Mark Oliveira. I'm joined by Ash Bennington today. How are you doing, Ash? Oh, I'm doing great. Great to be with you, Marco. Yeah, great to be back with you. It's been a while since we've been back together. It sure has. This is going to be a fun show. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's take a look at our latest uh, price analysis. Bitcoin is closing out the working week at around 23,000. It's up nearly 9% on a trailing seven-day basis. That's a continuation of what's been a phenomenal start to the year. In fact, according to Coindesk, this is Bitcoin's best January since 2013. It's up 40% this month, and apparently 85% of that rally happened during U.S. trading hours. An analyst at Matrixport told Coindesk that's an indication institutional investors are buying Bitcoin. Ash, tell me, how's Ethereum doing? Well, you know, once again this week, Ether is a bit of a laggard compared to Bitcoin. Ether is up just 1% on a trailing seven-day basis. It's fallen below $1,600. There seems to be no obvious reason for this underperformance relative to Bitcoin, Marco. That's interesting. We're looking at also Matic. That's the native token of Polygon, one of the best performers today. It's up 6% on a 24-hour basis and more than 18% over the past week. The jump has made Matic the 10th largest cryptocurrency uh, by, by market cap. The network is preparing for some major upgrades, so it looks like the price movement may be an anticipation of that. We'll obviously have a lot more price analysis in just a moment with Dave the Wave. But let's take a look at some crypto news. According to sources speaking to Bloomberg, ratings agency Moody's could soon start rating stablecoins. The sources say the system will include 20 stablecoins ranked by the quality of the proof of reserves backing them. A Bloomberg source says the plan is in its early stages and won't constitute an official credit rating. Ash, obviously some of our viewers are not going to have that background in macro. They might not be familiar with the work Moody does. What does this mean for the space? Well, you may have heard terms like junk bonds or triple A bond in the past. That's what credit agencies do in essence. They rate the credit worthiness of entities, uh, companies, municipalities, in fact, even sovereign countries as well. You know, in equity research, sell-side analysts are looking for the upside. The nationally recognized statistical ratings organization, that's the technical term uh, for shops like Moody's and S&P's and Fitch, uh, they look for the downside. Creditors care about getting paid out in a timely fashion. They care about getting out on 100 cents in the dollar that they invest. Uh, a couple of additional points here specific to the crypto space, Marco. Moody's already rates publicly traded companies like Coinbase, uh, meaning on the debt side. So crypto is not an entirely new asset class for these agencies. They have a little bit of experience there. Stable coins, of course, have been growing in importance. Bloomberg, for example, reports that they are the most actively traded crypto 
tokens. However, the reserve attestation process continues to be something that attracts doubts in the space. Tether, the largest stablecoin, was fined by New York authorities in 2021 for misrepresenting its reserves. You know, I think this is all very natural. I've talked about this before here on the show. Most stablecoins are, in fact, highly centralized. They are not decentralized. The activities they perform uh, look a lot like traditional financial services functions. So I think it's a very reasonable step. Uh, now, a cynic might bring up the 2007-2008 uh, global financial crisis period and say that ratings agencies rated MBS, mortgage-backed securities, and CDOs, those are collateralized debt obligations that were the epicenter of that crisis. Uh, some of the times they rated them as AAA, and they turned out to be what we used to call on the trading floor TDS, which stands for toxic dog snot. I say, look, good point. It's, it's a reasonable sort of skepticism to have, but I think it's a step toward transparency. It's a step toward uh, these companies uh, that are, in fact, centralized entities or organizations uh, that, uh, that function effectively like companies. Taking these steps to you know, essentially expose what they're doing to, to uh, you know, get in the process of releasing documents. This is just basically table stakes uh, in the traditional financial services architecture. And I think it's a, a very good step and uh, in the right direction uh, for these agencies to be doing this. One final point about ratings agencies. Uh, my mother actually works for an agency that rates credit and she is retiring today. I think she's actually turning in her laptop right now as we do this show. Uh, so happy retirement, Mrs. Ash's mom. Yes, happy retirement, Mrs. Ash's mom. I definitely would love to, you know, one day head up to New York and meet her, see how she's created such an amazing human being like yourself, you know, really smart. And so uh, congratulations to her. And on the point of the toxic... Well, Marco, she knows you because she watches the shows. Awesome. Well, hi, uh, Mrs. Ash's mom. Um, you know, uh, we're we're um, we we thank you for everything you've uh, done with Ash and raising such a uh, good human being. Um, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, on to our next story. Uh, Reuters says the SEC, uh, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, is doing yet another crypto-related investigation. The SEC is reportedly questioning registered investment advisors over how they handle crypto assets for their customers. Apparently, the investigation has been going ongoing for months, but gathered pace after the FTX collapse. Ash, what do you make of this? Well, you know, typically uh, investment advisors use third-party companies to store client assets. Uh, one of the Reuters sources says that SEC enforcement staff are asking investment advisors for details on how they assess custody safety for platforms, including, of course, FTX, as you might imagine. The law states that regulated investment advisors cannot hold custody of customer assets if they do not meet certain criteria. In that case, they need to uh, use so-called qualified custodians. Look, again, in many ways, this is an echo of the prior story. Uh, this isn't something that upsets me. If you're giving money uh, to an RIA, a registered investment advisor, you have an expectation that they are going to take due diligence with those assets to make sure that they are secure and protected. And once again, in the echo of the Moody story, effectively what you have here, uh, we tout decentralization in this space, right? We talk about, well, you know, this is incredible technology because it's totally decentralized. The reality is if you held assets on FTX, it was not decentralized. It was the opposite of, of, of decentralized. It was highly centralized. And when the company collapsed, your assets got frozen. Uh, so I think as we move from a highly centralized world uh, to a decentralized world. These are kind of these each intermediate steps that need to take place uh, in the process. Look, at the end of the day, uh, what regulators, what legislators, what politicians 
care about is when retail investors get hurt. And it's very obvious retail investors got hurt. You know, we can come on here and talk about how optimistic we are about this, this space, uh, which is certainly true. I think you and I, when we get out of bed in the morning, uh, we're passionate about this uh, because we see the promise of that technology. But you can't be an ostrich and bury your head in the sand uh, and pretend that these spectacular blowups didn't happen. I think this is another way of attempting to uh, mitigate, ameliorate, and modify some of those practices uh, and to make sure that retail investors, particularly when they give it to a registered investment advisor, that's not someone who's terribly sophisticated in the crypto space, if they're using an intermediary like that, you got to make sure these folks are safe. Absolutely. And I think that you made a really important distinction between centralized entities and decentralization and the kind of issues that came from the FTX situation yep. with centralized entities holding yep. this. Right. And a lot of people tend to put the full blame on the crypto industry as a whole when really it was just it was a centralized party and centralized was an issue. This is was the birth of crypto was decentralization. It was because yep. of issues with centralized parties in the past. And so that's, yeah, absolutely a great point to kind of hone in on there. Let's Marco, move if on. I could just want one, one other point. First of all, I Everything you said, I think, is spot on. Yeah. I would just add. I would just add this. You know, the devil's in the details here. So you could imagine uh, a world in which there are politicians who just hate crypto. Let's let's just be blunt about it. They they say yeah. that it's a uh, you know it's a uh, it's a place where where uh, you know terrorists and uh, and drug cartels go to launder their money. I mean, there are people out there who don't like crypto. Let's let's not sugarcoat the other side of this issue. And it's certainly possible to get legislation. Uh, that could be just punitive to the industry uh, that has no other purpose except to sort of squash out uh, the passion that lots of people have for crypto. So I'm mindful of that. And it's a balancing act like everything else in life. Uh, and and we, you know, we can't just sort of say all regulation is good or all regulation is bad. You know, look at the individual regulation. You have to look at its intent. You have to look at its unintended consequences and whether or not it ultimately meets those objectives. And you know, that's one of the things that we do here on this show. And it's, uh, it's great to, to be up here with you, Marco, for a change doing this with you. It's fun to be back. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, uh, to the point of like regulation, I mean, I, I understand that it's been taking the government so long. And I feel like, you know, part of that reason is that that with uh, crypto, just it just moves so fast. And so by the time that they try to put new laws in, then it's like they have to change it all over again. So it's definitely something that, you know, we we cover on the show. And this is why we cover regulation so much is because we want to be there when these moves happen so that the viewers are up to stay up to date with that important information. Sure does. Yeah. Well, anyway, so this is another interesting story here. Drivers in California could soon have their car ownership registered as an NFT. The State Department of Motor State Department of Motor Vehicles (DMV) has partnered with Tezos, a Layer One blockchain and crypto software development company, Oxhead Alpha. The DMV is testing digitizing car titles, so documents that confirm who owns it will be on the Tezos network. The DMV says that the aim is to make transferring ownership easier. Chief Digital Officer of the of Cal. California DMV told Fortune magazine the agency wants to finalize a quote shadow ledger in the next three months. It would then roll out apps for consumers, including digital wallets. Ash, this is a, you know a story of the road to mass adoption. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I think it's a really cool story. Uh, you know, one of the things that we've been talking about here on Real Vision, crypto daily briefing, and elsewhere on Real Vision is this idea that NFTs are not simply JPEGs uh, that are traded uh, like stocks. That's not what it's about. It's about creating these unique uh, sort of digital tokens that have a unique digital fingerprint that you can store uh, any type of information on, which means you can do a whole variety of things. And this is, I think, a, a very one of the really interesting and very powerful use cases. 
I should also say uh, that this is not limited. Obviously, conceptually, you can think this through. It's not going to be just limited to automobiles. Uh, those folks out there uh, who are OGs in the finance space, of course, remember the 2007-2008 global financial crisis we talked about a little bit before in this show. One of the challenges that we had there was assessing the ownership uh, of who owned what in housing markets. There was a system called MERS, M-E-R-S, uh, that turned out to be an absolute catastrophe. No one could figure out who owned what. You couldn't get clear title on a house. You couldn't see who owned it. The system turned out to be a disaster. It was probably built uh, on COBOL and other 1960s technology. It was just a nightmare to sort through. And so I think that this is one of the uh, use cases that people who have been passionate about this space can see very clearly. So you could register cars on the Tezos blockchain in the case of California. You could start thinking about how you could register all types of real estate and other types of assets as well. Uh, securities, uh, non-securities that trade like securities. I mean, there's just so many potential opportunities, uh, over-the-counter derivatives, anything that can be uh, essentially linked to information, which is essentially any asset, could potentially trade in this case. Uh, but, you know, obviously, once again, devil's in the details, take some time to figure out uh, not just the, the infrastructure and architecture from a technical standpoint, but also the legal regulatory compliance legislative component, which for real world assets, especially things like real estate, you don't want a computer glitch uh, to, uh, to accidentally erase the ownership of a home that you've just paid into uh, for 30 years. I mean, when you have something like an NFT, you know, we, we, we read these stories every day about people who are sophisticated in this space who accidentally get uh, make some mistake in the way that they custody their assets or they get fished. Those kinds of issues need to be sorted out from the system. But it's hard to hear a story like this and, and not feel optimistic and not be like, wow, that's a pretty cool thing. By the way, one final point. Uh, it's interesting also to me that they're using uh, that they're using Tezos, uh, not Ethereum, no disrespect to Ethereum, uh, but I feel like it's uh, kind of a let a thousand flowers bloom. It's cool to see these other layer ones getting involved. Uh, it's cool to see new technology uh, getting tested in the field. I think this is a really interesting and exciting story, uh, Marco. Absolutely. And I'm sure some of that has to do with the price of Tezos transactions and probably also the transactions per second, some of those things. And so it's interesting. It's good to see that other blockchains beside, uh, beside Ethereum are getting some attention in the space because I think, you know, going forward, you know, if, as we talk about this kind of multi-chain world, then I think this is something that uh, is going to make uh, crypto more accessible for everybody because some chains might be cheaper and it'll kind of serve a business need or serve a need better than than perhaps like some other chains might not. Yeah, and that's one of the advantages in Tezos is that it is, in fact, uh, very cheap uh, compared to Ethereum, I believe, uh, to do these transactions. So that may be one of the drivers behind this. Absolutely. Well, on to our last story and staying with the theme of adoption, uh, U.S. Republican Senator Ted Cruz has introduced a resolution that if passed would require Congress to only contract food vendors who accept a Bitcoin as a payment method in the Capitol Hill complex. This also includes vending machine operators. So who knows, Ash, uh, maybe soon our lawmakers will be paying for chips and a soda with Bitcoin. What do you make of it? I wouldn't bet on uh, any of the lawmakers actually using the technology. Look, I, on one level, I think it's cool. I think it's cool that uh, that Ted Cruz is out there uh, talking about this technology uh, that we and everyone watching the show are so passionate about. Uh, the flip side of the story, if you want to find a, kind of a, a gray lining uh, to this uh, to the silver cloud here, is that you know the reality is here in 2023, everything is political, and we have this environment uh, where it's really starting to seem much more uh, like everything else 
has come, like the rest of the world, the, the politicization of every other issue in the United States has come to crypto. And I think that's a bad thing for the space. The idea that there's one party that seems to be broadly in favor of crypto and another party that seems to be uh, much more skeptical about it, let's just say, if we want to uh, try and euphemize that. And I think the reality is that uh, that's a challenge for the space. It would be great uh, if Democrats and Republicans could both see uh, some good and some upside for their own particular needs, for their own particular view of the world. You know, some of this is this weird issue uh, that it's age related. I, you know, we know that there's obviously a very passionate libertarian community that cares about these assets, particularly Bitcoin. Uh, but look, I have, you know, I know young people here in New York in their 20s who are passionate progressives who love the idea of digital assets. They see it uh, through their own lens and see the opportunities there. So I think it would be really unfortunate if this became another hot button social issue uh, with Democrats and Republicans staking out highly partisan positions. I don't think that would be good for the space. Uh, and I hope that doesn't happen. I hope uh, that uh, there is a, a Democrat uh, who comes across the aisle and uh, co-sponsors the bill with Ted Cruz uh, or co-sponsors the rule change with Ted Cruz. I think that would be a great thing for the space. And, and I really hope this becomes a more broad bipartisan effort for the good of the country. Uh, and I think for the good of uh, the world economy as well. Well, Ash, I suspect that, you know, as we get into further voting cycles that uh, and the voters are some, you know, that because obviously there's a lot of people that are getting into crypto, you know, the politicians care about what the voters like, right? And so right. we might see both sides, you know, start to take this uh, crypto first mentality because the voters care about it. So, uh, you know, I think maybe we might see some of that in this right. next election and we might see some of that in the following election, especially as, like you mentioned, the young people that are, you know, that in, in, in New York, as they become a larger part of the, uh, the electorate type of population, we might, they're just going to, the politicians are going to naturally gravitate towards that. Well, let's hope so, Marco. I think that's exactly right. And it's extremely well said. You know, I, I think that the, the reason that we're all passionate about this space is that we think it's good for the people. We think it's good for everyone. We think it's good to reduce transaction costs. We think it's good uh, to create more opportunity. Uh, I certainly think that the United States can be a, a major leader in the digital asset trends. Uh, the, the Basically, the, the process of, uh, of moving into the digital asset space, I think that as we transition toward more of these technologies, it's a great opportunity uh, for us in the United States to do what happened with semiconductors uh, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Uh, with with uh, the traditional Web 1 and Web 2 uh, assets uh, in, in the 90s and 2000s. This is a great opportunity uh, for the American people, for the American economy, and I think for, for people everywhere uh, to reduce frictions, to reduce transaction costs, to be more entrepreneurial, and to develop real business opportunities. So I hope politicians of, of both political parties see the wisdom in that type of broad bipartisan view of the world. Agreed, agreed. Well, uh, for those watching on the Real Vision website, thank you. If you haven't signed up there yet, check it out at realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's the best way to get early access to Real Vision crypto content. And of course, it's always free, guys. Today, we released the latest Rouse Adventures in Crypto. Rouse spoke with Mike Novogratz of Galaxy Digital. Head over to realvision.com forward slash crypto for the insight of some of the biggest investors in the crypto space. And if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe and hit that notification bell. Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. 
Let's move on to our main interview. The recent uh, Bitcoin rally has made people wonder how far could it go? Does this rally have legs? Technical analyst Dave the Wave actually makes quite a bullish case in his view. Uh, so Dave is based out of New Zealand, and because of the time zone differences, he couldn't join us live. He did, however, agree to do a pre-recording with me two days ago on Wednesday, January 25th. At the start of the conversation, I pointed out that a lot has happened, right? We had the FTX situation. We have Genesis, Gemini. Uh, not, not to mention there's a lot of macro uh, macro uh, uh, stuff affecting the, the, the overall trading strategy in the crypto uh, landscape. So I asked him how that affected his tra trading strategy. Let's hear what he has to say. Yeah, you know, that, <clears throat> that's a good point. Um, I tend to stick to the TA and I look at TA as a discipline with its own method, with its own set of rules. And there, there's a reason for that, that, you know, the news and the so-called macro um, can drive sentiment. And TA is always, well, I, I always look at TA as a correction of sentiment. So it's something to use in the macro, something to bracket out of TA. So with TA, all I'm doing is looking at the chart, looking for patterns, <clears throat> looking for corrections, um, and the long-term trend, of course. But that said, I wouldn't want to write off the news and the macro and all that sort of stuff because it's it's good to keep an eye on that. And um, but I I, I I definitely keep it out of my TA. And then what I do with the TA is I combine the TA with the strategy based on uncertainty. So with the news and the macro, yeah, there's like a lot of uncertainty in the market. But I I sort of like um, price that into my strategy of trading and investing. So in a sense, you could say it's I take a dialectical approach to it all. What's your take on the recent price action in Bitcoin? Could you walk us through the charts? Yeah, sure. So like looking at the daily price here, I it's, it's interesting. We had a five-day hiatus before it took off again. And it's very interesting. We're at that five-day point again. So what's it going to do? Shoot up another, uh, up another level or correct? Um, the shortest term... The shortest term TA I find the most difficult to predict, the short term volatility. And in a way, my trading, the way I invest and trade is playing off that uncertainty and the volatility. So I'll trade alts a lot of the time, um, counter to what I'm thinking BTC is doing. Um, but that, that's, a, that's, you know, you're getting into strategic considerations there, which is a bit of a can of worms. Each trader, knows their own strategy well and it's quite can be difficult to explain to other people but objectively looking at the chart this is an interesting setup here so you know it wouldn't surprise me to see price move up another um, level which would take it back to that line of resistance there right and if it could blast through that it's all on what's interesting is it's also break breaking this, and, and a few, I notice a few people are starting to look at this now. This long-term diet, what I call a long-term diag of resistance, and you know that's a good sign. So it's sort of breaking out of this, and it's, it's look, it could well be setting up for a new move. And if we look back a um, back a few years, um, price has been known to be quite explosive 
So we're, you know, Bitcoin is a highly speculative market. Money piles out of it and money piles into it. So it wouldn't surprise me if we saw a big large move, which could take a, if you look at a proportionate move here, um, this went up to 14K. And actually, in nominal terms, it's off the peak, but in real terms, it's not far off that peak. You could see something similar. I'm not saying, you know, it's a, it's a real possibility here with price pushing 40K, 45K. Um, you know, that's 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 something to keep in mind for if, if people start piling into back into this. I mean, price came off pretty precipitously here, so it wouldn't take much for price to come back up again. And and one thing we know about Bitcoin is it's volatile, mm -hmm. so it gets people buying these peaks, and then people get um, shaken out of these peaks. Same thing could happen here. What levels are you looking at to indicate where the price could be headed? So, you know, this is what I've called the buy zone based on the model of the LGC, right? Mm -hmm. I think most of my followers are pretty familiar with that. You know, this, this idea here that price is long-term price, and this is the model, and I think the long-term trend is the easiest to predict, mm -hmm. is developing a, 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 along the lines of price discovery. So mm -hmm. increasing price stability. So the way I look at this is that it's a currency, an alternative currency being capitalized, right? Mm -hmm. Digital gold. And uh, back in the day, everyone was talking about price discovery and price stability. So I think that's where we're heading. Um, now, with that in mind, I've always had that buy zone um, highlighted, the shaded area here. And so, you know, myself and followers were buying in here and buying here. And very, very wary of buying these peaks, right? Mm -hmm. Because based on this model, price is going to correct. Sure enough, it's correct, corrected. But what's interesting is it's price has really just been stuck in this buy zone, slightly above it, slightly below it, but it's right in the middle of this buy zone. So to me, for a, a long-term investor, it's a buy zone. What is the price range in the buy zone? Well, it's moving up. Mm -hmm. um, but currently, the any any anything between eighteen k, right, mm -hmm. and uh, the top of it is quite high, right, twenty eight k. Anything okay. like that is 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 quite good because the move can be sudden, and you're up to forty k, fifty k prices, and then it might come back again. But the buy zone is going to be a lot higher, just as the buy zone is a lot higher than down here. Um. So for someone with heavy cash on the sidelines who wants to invest for the future, right, they're probably buying in a few tranches over a, a reasonable period of time is the way to go. So say you bought here, and once it hit the buy zone, oh, it was a bit high, right, 20K, and then you maybe bought again here, somewhere in here, 18K, and then maybe you bought a third tranche down here, which was the, would be the most difficult buy because it was all doom and gloom. This is was the SBF um, debacle, right? Mm -hmm. And actually, you'd be sitting pr pretty now. You'd be like you'd be wanting price to come back up, but for a long term investment, right? And I don't know why you'd want to trade Bitcoin. I think you want to just invest, buy in here, and sit on it. 
if you have to trade, trade the alts, right? They're mm -hmm. more volatile than Bitcoin. I don't understand the 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 way why people are doing alt Bitcoin trades or even Bitcoin trades, even on a long term cycle. But um, given the model, the LGC model, no certainties, but given a hypothesis, they are good. This is a good entry point. Mm -hmm. Now, if someone, what you could do, the more cautious buyer could look, wait for a break of this, that point there, 25K. And I've probably a lot of traders are watching that price because previously that's served as, you know, um, resistance and even a little bit of support, but way, well back here. Um, so a break of that, you know, would and would be reasonable odds. Uh, sure, it might correct, but it gives you it gives you a point at which you know it might meet resistance here, come back off, and then you if you then the difficulty that's always the hardest buy would be to if it did meet resistance there would mm -hmm. be to you know buy buy in here. But if it broke that and you had no exposure to Bitcoin, right? You, you, you. This is the buy zone. You'd want to buy it. And if it did go lower, that would. It's just an opportunity cost. You know, it's 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 a volatile instrument. In your newsletter, you mentioned part of your strategy is to be long a core position in Bitcoin. Then you take profit in more volatile altcoins until you eventually cash out into USD. Can you share more details about your strategy? Yeah, well, the idea there is that, you know, a model is always based on uncertainty. Mm -hmm. So the last thing you want is, in my opinion, is to buy into a narrative, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's the, the temptation is to buy into a narrative because the narrative offers you certainty. But anyone that's been through a cycle or two um, realizes that narratives are, are kind of illusions, they're comforting illusions. So, you know, the savvy trader investor um, is going to be wary of a narrative. So, so even this model I've, I'm using, which has been a f effective, and that's the how you judge the validity of a model, if, whether it works or not, and it has been working, right? Here and here, and it's met resistance at the top. Looks like it's being supported at the bottom again. So it's been pretty effective in predicting um, this price development within this range, which is relatively, uh, it's, it's a relatively narrow range compared to a lot of other models and is increasingly narrow as it goes, goes further along. But you want to hedge against it. And the way I hedge against it is that I trade alts against USD. Now, USD is the natural trading partner, not BTC, because crypto all moves together. The natural trading partner is USD, right, where it's more volatile. So on these big moves up here, um, I was making some swing trades, <clears throat> some longer-term swing trades in alts. And the, the, the percentage moves and alts are obviously bigger than Bitcoin, right? And then selling um, mm. USD. I could do that because I was sitting on a core Bitcoin position, bought earlier, sort of bought here and 
oh, I got caught up a bit in this, but I sold a bit and rebought a bit and then rebought. So I built a good core along here. Um, so I mean, I came in or in here, doubled up a bit uh, here, bought and bought here. But I've I've bought no Bitcoin here because I've got a core position, and that core position is the investment. Is the buy zone an appropriate location for traders to establish a core position, including those who didn't participate in previous market cycles? Yep, I'd mm -hmm. suggest someone new to the um, area, even if they've been burnt in this cycle. I mean, everyone, you know, most people when they enter a market, they uh, they'll get burnt. Mm -hmm. But you don't want to get become once bitten, twice shy. Give it another go and just be a little yeah. bit wiser, right? Wisen up. And yeah, this is the this is the buy zone. Um, you want to establish a position in Bitcoin, and then because there's no certainty in anything, right? Right. And I mean, it's a it's a fair bet that this is this will, this will carry up. But then what you do for your hedge is you trade some alt positions, F mm. or whatever, um, uh, Matic, uh, BNB. Uh, I'll, I'll look at a few when we finish up. Um, and there you've got to wear your dollar bill hat. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't just have one hat on your head. You've got to have a, if, if you're hedging, you've got two hats. And this is the hard thing. You've got to have one, more than one idea in your mind. Right. right? You can't just be thinking hyperinflation. USD is toilet paper. Because what you're doing with your hedge in your trade, and it's a longer term trade. It's not day trading. You know, mm -hmm. your longer term trades, you've got a better bet of, of making a profit. But that's what you're doing. You're making a profit and you're skimming that profit off into real assets. Yeah. Now, a lot of investors and, dare I say, traders in Bitcoin, even if they're trading on a four-year cycle, they're never actually taking a real profit. Mm. Even if they are increasing their Bitcoin stash, are they really taking profit into real assets so you know there's this ultimate question about what it means to take profit so yeah. if you sit on your core trade a few altcoins skim off some uh, some of that profit made in your stable coins into real assets a rural property a camper van a boat whatever you've actually become in real in real world terms a bit wealthier Hey everyone, we're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Have you ever experienced turbulence on a flight and wondered why? And you can see all the terrain around you. Uh, you've got no issue with visibility or anything? No, nah, everything's peachy. Maybe you've sat on the tarmac for hours wondering why your plane isn't moving. Well, we're outside here. They're saying the ramp is closed. They won't let us park because of the uh, Air Force One. Listen in on the conversations between pilots and air traffic controllers on the Air Traffic Out of Control podcast. 510 declaring an emergency. There's smoke in the cabin. I need to make a landing right now on 31 left. We have the most interesting, wild, and funny ATC recordings you will ever hear. Check out Air Traffic Out of Control wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. When you talk about some traders not taking profits, it reminds you of the saying stack sats, which is popular among Bitcoin maximalists. So as you're saying, with the maximalist, maximalist narrative, there's nothing 
knew about that. Yeah. Um, that's the old gold bug narrative, <laughs> right? Where yeah. the, you don't want to be that old miser in the shack with his counting his coins every day. And then when he dies and they demolish the shack, they find his gold coins in the, in the wall. Yeah. Right. And sort of, there's this, like, you've got to really think, well, what is real wealth? You know, should, monetary wealth's great. And that's, but that can be the means to the end. And the end yeah. is getting that real wealth. Anyway, to finish with, if we maybe look at that metric, uh, yeah, BTC absolutely. DOM, mm -hmm. and, I, and I know a lot of people are, are interested in this, in this metric. Um, week, yep, no, it's good. Just keep it on the weekly. So, you know, it's a really, it's an interesting one. And let's get that off percentages. Most people are familiar with that. Right, so we got so we got it moving up, but it's range bound, mm -hmm. so it's been stuck in this range for quite some time one, two, couple of years. And it's interesting, before it was in this range and then it broke out. Now, one thing to keep in mind is it's a more mature market, which is going to have an impact there to the pattern. Um, <clears throat> And I think the, the biggest thing to keep in mind with this metric is, is it's, I've got a little visual here, is it's, mm -hmm. I think it's, it's a skewed or a distorted metric. Mm -hmm. Because what you've got with BTC DOM is you've got the market cap of BTC over the market cap of all crypto. Mm -hmm. Now, what that means is on one side of the ledger, you've got Bitcoin. And then on the other side of the ledger, right, you've got Bitcoin again, because you want what's the proportion of Bitcoin or the ratio of mm -hmm. Bitcoin to the total market. You've got mm -hmm. Bitcoin in here. You've got alts in here, which are fine. Mm -hmm. But you've also got stables. Mm -hmm. And stables are effect effectively money on the sidelines. Mm -hmm. I th this needs to be taken out. And you need to mm -hmm. find a long enough metric going back years that's just this. Because mm. what happens is money goes into Bitcoin and that registers here on mm -hmm. the ratio, right? And the, the ratio is going up 44%, 45%, right? People get excited. But the money that goes into alts, it doesn't register because it's just mm. going from here to here. It's on the same side. And same thing went on the sell-off. Alts will go into stables, right? And mm -hmm it's not going to register on here. So you're getting a skewed metric and a lot of money mm -hmm. is tied up in the stables, but the money that moves from here to alts, it doesn't register here. You see the problem? And yeah, so I, I think it's really, you know, I wouldn't write it off totally, but it's something to take with a big grain of salt. I mean, you don't want to get too excited about BTC DOM. It's, it's really a little bit of a fundamentally flawed metric. And I would be more interested in looking at something that takes that out, right? Mm -hmm. And you just have, beat, this is uh, this is basically Bitcoin market cap of Bitcoin over the total market, market cap minus stables. Stable coins. Yeah. So you need to find some genius who can do that and maybe take out the you know, the, the, the stable coins that don't really matter 
to mm -hmm. that equation and that those stable coins can affect the chart so the chart doesn't go back far enough you know so you just want the major stables mm -hmm. that have been around for a long time taken out of that and then you've got a then you can see what's going on yeah and then you can see what's what's moving between bitcoin and nults and a lot of the people that look at btc dom that's what they're interested in btc and alts very and interesting yet, yeah and that this is really throwing a, a spanner in the works so i i kind of have given up charting this i just focus on the usd peers that makes sense i can see how stable coins skew the data on bitcoin's dominance among true altcoins but even even that said i mean even as a, a handy metric to use you know mm -hmm. you've got you've got this range here so price could really come up here and then do this and you know but meanwhile the whole market just moves up alts and bitcoin together um so yeah so that's my view on btc dom there um something to something to just take with a grain of salt thanks for coming on dave we're looking forward to having you back in the future how can people keep up with you in the meantime right sure thing no problems um well, I, well, I do a, a newsletter once a fortnight, and there's a few, you know, like a good couple of months ago, I was looking a bit, looking at, you know, alts making higher lows and developing base, and talking about hedging here and uh, the MACD, ETH, focused on that, and looking at the future, taking stock, because we could be at a, a bit of a pivot. But I mm -hmm. think a lot of people are sort of realizing, well, heck, you know, this is this is quite an interesting move, and if we see some follow through, it should it should be good. So you can get me there, catch me there, Dave the Wave, uh, with an E. And I've also got a trading um, page for the alts, where I focus more on all the alts trading, um, uh, trying to get some profit out of this market. And uh, that's that one there is DaveTheWave.com and Dave without an E, just DaveTheWave.com. Um, so, yep, that's where I can be found. All right, we're back live. Great conversation uh, with Dave the Wave. I was listening live in real time with our viewers for that show. You know, Dave, of course, is very popular, very knowledgeable, and yet he maintains great humility about the risks and uncertainties about the predictive power of technical analysis. Indeed, he discloses that BTC is a highly speculative and volatile asset. Marco, this is really your jam. You've gone down the rabbit hole with technical analysis. You've become one of the, the in-house experts here at Real Vision. You cover this space closely. You conducted this interview with Dave. What were your sort of major takes uh, from this conversation? Obviously, it was a 30-minute interview, lots of detail there. How would you sum it up? Well, uh, Ash, first I have to say thank you for for that. I appreciate uh, your really nice comments there. And to your point, you know, where uh, he's, you know, even Dave mentioned that he got caught up in the whole, you know, situation, the cycle a little bit towards the peak as well. So in terms of uh, uh, main takeaways, and I think the, the biggest thing for me was that Dave really stresses the importance of this buy zone with this with the, which is within this logarithmic uh growth curve and this buy explain, zone explain that marco for people who are, who are still trying to get their heads around it 
Right. So the, the the essentially the way that Bitcoin's price is tracking, it's tracking over this logarithmic growth curve that he's that he has that it's like a, a specific way of tracking Bitcoin's price. And it's been growing along this curve. It obviously deviates from the center of that curve up or or down, you know, throughout time, but it kind of really gravitates for the most for the average period of time, it gravitates towards the, towards the middle. But when it gravitates lower towards the lower end of the curve, uh, is where typically has been in the past, according to past cycles, has been a really good time to accumulate Bitcoin because from there usually there's a a movement up. Obviously, you know, past the what happens in the past is not a guarantee of, that it can happen in the future. But it's this there there's this price range, and currently the price range is around 18 to 28k, I believe he said. Um, and so this is an area where he's thinking that people can really establish a core position in, of Bitcoin. And what he means by a core position of, of, of Bitcoin is essentially a kind of like a, a position that that when you hold on for to the next market, that it, it's a, a position that, that, that performs uh, pretty well. And he also mentioned, I believe, a, a resistance level around 25K. Uh, compared to what's happened in this during this cycle, and that for people who are more cautious, they could if they could look at that 25k level to see like, hey, like maybe this I should wait for that we sh for that we uh, for us to cross above this level for us to be able for me to be able to get into a trade. Obviously, you know, none of, nothing we're saying here is financial advice, and this is Dave's yeah. opinion, uh, but. This is just a, a kind of a generally how he looks at that. He also something else that I thought was really interesting uh, was that he's not he says like he's not really looking at trading Bitcoin for profit. And if you want to trade to make money to turn into real assets, trade altcoins. Uh, and I'm guessing because he's looking at Bitcoin more as this alternative currency that's being capitalized as digital gold, he calls it. Uh, so he has this kind of hedge position where he uh, where he trades alts to be able to turn it into into profit with USD and then into that profit into real assets. Yeah, and as you say, that's Dave's view and he discloses that he believes this is a highly volatile asset class and speculative. Uh, of course, past performance is not indicative of future results. This is definitely not financial advice. Uh, and um, you know, you should do your own research obviously on all of this. Uh, Marco, I have to say, it's really been a pleasure to do this show with you here today on technical analysis, which you've been following so closely. It's great to see how you've really owned this coverage here on Real Vision. Uh, Final thoughts, final key takeaways that you'd like to leave our audience with. I just think that it's important for people to establish good risk management approaches. You know, just because Dave uh, in, and and I I love Dave's analysis. I think he does great analysis, and there's lots of great analysts that we have on the show. But just because they use one indicator or one thing, you should be looking at multiple things to, before you make these decisions. You should be taking your personal circumstances, your personal situation into into uh, your decision making, and make sure that you you're really establishing good risk management approaches before yeah. making trades. Yeah, yeah and you, you make an important point there, which is everyone's situation is obviously highly individual and different. Uh, it's one of the reasons why you can, can never give financial advice on the air because you never know who you're talking to. And I always advise people to talk to a, an investment professional, a financial advisor, just to understand uh, the buckets of their asset classes, understanding their risk categorization uh, and understanding their own future needs. Marco, back over to you to close the show, man. Well, yeah, thanks, Ash. It was, it was obviously it was great doing this show with you. We're gonna have to do this more often. I like the back and forth, right? It's not just us reading something off of a, you know, something or like the story. It's a, it's we it's, we get to get, have this engagement. So I love that. Well, it's fun to be on uh, camera with you and uh, to have these conversations. And I'm always curious to hear what you think of this space that you follow, frankly, much more closely than I do. Yeah.
Well, anyways, for those watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. That way you will always stay up to date with the latest crypto analysis. If you're not a Real Vision Crypto subscriber yet, don't forget it's free. Head over to realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's it for today. We'll be back next week. We have another strong lineup of guests for you. And that includes Monday starting off with Bitcoiner Natalie Brunel, uh, Benziga uh, CEO ja Jason Rasnick, and Fox Business anchor Charlie Gasparino. See you mon Monday 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, 5 p.m. London time, live on Real Vision Crypto Daily Brief. Thing.